Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 that's going to serve as the basis and the backbone for the entirety of our study tonight. And we will use John the 13th chapter to do some Q&A, some question and answer. I feel a little bit out of practice with Q&A night as I haven't done Q&A since back in June. And so tonight will actually be the first of back-to-back Q&A nights as next Sunday night I actually have a doozy. For Q&A night then, it is a question that has been sitting and gestating for a long, long time. And we're going to work on that next week, but I'm going to use tonight's question from John chapter 13 to kind of serve as a warm-up for myself and get back into the groove of doing a little bit of Q&A. And I'm going to see if we can do this in a somewhat timely manner. I realize that even when I say I'm going to try to do it in a timely manner, I always look out and I see people like David Hatfield that are sitting there like, "Mm mm-mm, no, not going to happen. Well... We'll see if I can stick to my word tonight. Great to see everybody this evening. Hope that you've had a great day. It's been a great day of worship here during the morning service. Very encouraged by that. Great afternoon at the nursing home if you're able to be there for that. And just great to get to come together again tonight and to sing these songs and be together once more. Let's read together a rather long reading in John the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to rip off 17 verses here, so it'll be helpful for you to be following along. In John 13, beginning in verse 1... Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, He rose from supper, and He laid aside His outer garments... Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter then said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. Verse 12 now. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand? What I have done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. What would you say if you got invited to a good old-fashioned foot washing service? What would be your response to that invitation? How would you handle that conversation? You should know that that is a common practice amongst many mainstream denominational churches even today. For example, the Church of God in St. Robert, Missouri... They had a special foot washing service back in April and touted and advertised about that for weeks on end. 
Uh, this Methodist church in Princeville, Illinois, they had a foot washing slash communion service, and that was done in conjunction with uh, Monday Thursday, which is the Thursday before Easter Sunday. Uh, this particular church in Corpus Christi, Texas, they had a foot washing service back in December. In fact, it was on the evening of December the 31st, and if you can see the small print there, it continued on until midnight of January the 1st. This was how they were going to ring in the new year with a foot washing service. Unless you get to thinking, well, those are things that are going on in places far off from here. That doesn't happen anywhere here locally. Well, just this past Wednesday in Whitley City, the Indian Creek Church, which would be just a half hour up the road or so, they had a foot washing service and on their social media accounts they described it as being wonderful and as being very special. Lots of churches and lots of people who profess some kind of faith in Jesus Christ, they engage in this, the ceremonial act of foot washing as a religious service and a religious ordinance. And as evidence from the text that we just read in John chapter 13, that activity seems to have at least some scriptural merit. In fact, it probably doesn't get any more plain and any more direct than a command from Jesus Himself in verse 15 when Jesus says, Do it! Which begs the question, Why ain't we doing it? Best I could tell, nobody showed up this evening with a basin or with a towel. And maybe if you did, maybe I just didn't notice that. I don't recall anybody this morning. I was pretty observant this morning to what was going on. I stood up here for about 35 minutes and was watching everything that was going on. I didn't see anybody break out in the middle of the service and get down on their knees and start washing and scrubbing the feet of their brothers and their sisters. In fact, I should tell you that in my 39 years of attending various services of Churches of Christ all over this state and all over the country, I have never worshipped anywhere where foot washing took place. Why not? Why don't we do that? Why aren't we involved in that? Why are we not, verse 14, washing one another's feet? If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, and I'd like to think that that's what we're trying to do, if we're truly trying to walk in His footsteps, pardon the pun there, then what about this business of foot washing? What do we do with that? And what do we do with this text in John chapter 13? You know, it's really easy for us to look at that, and it's easy for us to see what goes on in other churches in other parts of this world and to say, well, that's just kind of weird. That just makes me uncomfortable. In fact, stop and think about it, it's kind of gross. It's just kind of nasty, touching and washing and doing stuff with other people's feet. I'm not a foot guy. I don't even like my own feet. So the idea of touching somebody else's feet, that just kind of weirds me out a little bit. And it's easy for us to look at that and think those things. And maybe even to point the finger and quickly condemn others as, you know what? They're in error. They're just wrong. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the Bible. They're just way off base there. They're doing something that is unscriptural. But my question to you this evening is, is can you give a reasoned explanation for why you, for why we do not do that? Do you know how to accurately handle and use the Word of God to show why it is that you believe that Jesus is not instituting some kind of foot-washing ceremony as being an ordinance of the church? Listen, let's be very clear here. If Jesus is commanding foot-washing, if that's something that we ought to be doing, then we're going to have some repenting that's going to have to be done, right? 
But if that is not what He is commanding, then what could we say? What could we show? What could we point out to someone that might help someone to maybe look at this text a little more clearly, a little more accurately, and maybe hopefully come away with a better understanding of what Jesus is teaching? I will just tell you up front this evening that I do not believe that Jesus is teaching nor does He expect us to literally wash each other's feet, either as an act of individual service or as a collective action in the worship of the church. And I'm going to show you why I have that conviction as we think about this question. I'm going to show you why it is that I have arrived at that conclusion and what I then believe this passage actually is calling followers of Jesus to do. This evening I want to just share with you, hopefully in very timely fashion, Four very simple observations that help us to understand John the 13th chapter in an accurate kind of way. And the first of those reasons as to why I do not believe that Jesus is commanding us to literally wash each other's feet is because of the nature of Christ's commands. Just because Jesus gave a command to someone at some time during His earthly ministry that does not automatically mean that that same command is required of all people of all time. Can I just illustrate that for you? Just stay here in John, but turn back a few pages. Look in John 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus gives a command here in John 5 that is very direct. It is very succinct. There's really no mistaking what He's saying and what He's articulating in this command. In John chapter 5 and in verse 8, Jesus gives the command. He says, get up, take your bed... And walk. Let me ask you, is that command for everybody throughout all of history who is trying to follow Jesus? Is that command for you? Is that command for me? Because i got to tell you, I wouldn't have any problem with the first part of that command, get up. And I wouldn't have any problem with the back part of that command about walk. But the part in the middle about take up your bed, I'm probably going to have a little bit of trouble with that. We have a king-size bed. I don't know how I'm going to lug that around. I probably need some help. I'm not sure how to do that take-up-your-bed thing. Or what about in chapter 9? In John chapter 9, here is another command that Jesus gave. Again, short, sweet, to the point, direct, clear, concise. John chapter 9, verse 7, Jesus commands there, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if that command is for all people of all time, I'm going to need some directions. I'm going to need some more information here because, number one, I don't know where the Pool of Siloam is. Now, if I had to guess, I'm guessing it's probably somewhere over in the Middle East, which then poses another problem. I'm going to need some money for some airfare to get over to the Middle East and do that. The truth of the matter is, these commands were not given to me. These commands were not given to you. That requirement to go and wash in the Pool of Siloam, that was for that man in John 9 that Jesus encountered there. And the command to take up your bed and to go and to walk, that was to that man in John chapter 5. And it was not meant to be universal in its application. And what all of this is to say is that being a careful student of God's Word means being able to look at the nature of a command, to look at to whom that command was given to, to look at the very purpose of the command, if that purpose is stated, And then to think about whether or not it is to be applied in a limited way to a limited number of people or whether it was intended to be for everyone of all time. I believe the command that we're looking at in John chapter 13 
about washing one another's feet, I believe the specific application of that command was for those 12 guys who were sitting in that room right there that night sitting at the table with Jesus. I think that's who that command was for. And one of the reasons that I think we can conclude that is whenever we have some understanding of the second thing, and that is the custom of foot washing in the first century world. If you lived in first century Palestine, in fact, if you lived somewhere in the first century just really anywhere in the Roman Empire, foot washing would have been very common and it would have been almost an everyday practice. And that was due to at least three variables that I can think of that are kind of all interconnected, which really made foot washing, it really made it a necessity. First of all, most travel in those times, it was done by foot. It was done by walking. There are more references, if you stopped and thought about it, there are more references in the New Testament to Jesus and His disciples walking to places then there are references to Jesus getting to places by some other means of transportation. If you were going from one town to another in the first century world, more than likely, you were walking. I realize there are exceptions to that. People rode horses and camels and other things. But generally speaking, the common everyday person, you walked everywhere you went. Secondly, not only were you walking, but you were walking in a certain kind of footwear. And you were not wearing nice, comfortably padded tennis shoes or some other kind of modern form of footwear that we have today. You were walking in sandals, more than likely. Open-toed sandals. And more than likely, you were not doing what many uncool dads do, and that is wear socks under your sandals. That was not the norm back then either. Which means then, if you are walking around in open-toed sandals, walking everywhere that you went every single day, that meant that your feet were going to be exposed to whatever was on the surfaces that you were walking upon. And that is the third variable in this puzzle. And that is that much of that walking took place on unpaved roads. We just sang that song a second ago, that my eyes have seen your glory. I have seen you walk down a dusty road. That's generally true. Now, the Romans did have some very sophisticated uh, paved roads in certain like larger cities and in bigger towns. Those, those kinds of roads were made out of stone and gravel and maybe even certain segments that were made out of brick. But if you were just kind of generally traveling, you're going, going from Nazareth over to Capernaum, a couple of, couple of just regular old towns. Number one, you were walking. Number two, you were walking wearing sandals. And number three, you were walking wearing sandals on dirt roads. In fact, there is even evidence that in many towns, in the absence of having septic and sewage systems like we did today, you know what people did with their waste? They just threw it out in the street. Which means that on top of just walking on the dirt and the dust and the mud of just nature, you are also walking on top many times of raw sewage. That just compounded the filth and the muck and the grime that people were tracking their feet through every single day. And it is the combination of those factors that made foot washing not just merely a custom, it made it a necessity. Especially if you were having a guest into your home. We even understand a little bit about that today. You have a guest into your home and the person's wearing some shoes. It's got some dirt or some filth on it. Lots of times the homeowner will ask the guest, can you remove your shoes? 
Can't have you just kind of traipsing through the house, bringing mud and making a mess all kinds of all over everywhere. Well, the way you handled that in first century times was you would bring the guest in and you would then offer to have their feet washed. Maybe they would offer to do that themselves, or maybe you would offer to do that for them, which means that foot washing was not just an act of personal hygiene, it was, but it was also an act of hospitality. It was an act of service that helped to meet a specific need. In Luke chapter 7, hold your place in John, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus was actually invited into the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, unusual events that happen at that particular dinner party. Namely, there is a woman, a woman of the world, who just comes into the house. And she's weeping and crying and she's, she, she's kind of just falling all over Jesus. Not in some kind of a romantic or a lewd way, but she recognizes that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God and she is a sinful woman. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus recognizes that Simon isn't quite learning the lessons that he needs to learn. And so he then says in Luke 7 and verse 44, Luke 7 verse 44, turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Jesus says, Simon, you didn't even do the customary thing that just about everybody does, any kind of respectable person does for their guests, and that is to wash their feet, or at the very least, provide the necessary tools and instruments so that they can wash their own feet. What all of that is to say is that in that culture, and in that time, there was almost an expectation of washing feet. It's like when you go into somebody's house... And you're going to be a guest there. And maybe one of the first things they say, especially like in the wintertime, they say, hey, give me your coat. Let me, let me take your coat for you. I'm going to take care of that for you. There's almost the expectation that the homeowner, the, the, the person who is hosting, that they're going to offer that to you. In fact, in first century times, if a man was wealthy enough to have a servant or servants, then many times a servant would be the one who was dispatched to wash the feet of the guest. Just as it was also that servant's job to wash the feet of the master When the Master came home, will you hold that thought in your mind as we turn back now to John the 13th chapter? Because what we see in John chapter 13 is we see Jesus addressing a much bigger issue than the cleanliness of one's feet. A much bigger issue than personal hygiene. Even a much bigger issue than following along with an accepted custom of the day. What we see Jesus doing is addressing an issue that His disciples very much needed a hard lesson about. And that is Jesus is intentionally modeling for them what servanthood looks like. These twelve guys, as devoted as they were, well, maybe at this point, eleven of them were really devoted. But as devoted and as committed as these apostles were, they still had some very clear rough edges that needed to be kind of sanded down a little bit. And not the least of which was there was this just ongoing spirit of egotism and pride and competition that just constantly prevailed amongst them. For example, in Mark chapter 10 and in verse 37, you will remember that James and John, they actually had the gall to come to Jesus and to request of Him, Lord... 
Can we have the preeminent position and place of, of honor when you come in your glory? Let us sit at your left hand and at your right hand. Can we have that honor? Or maybe you remember as well, in the previous chapter, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 34, the twelve, when they were on their way, traveling to the next city, while they were on the way, they were actually arguing with each other. They were bickering with one another. When they got to the place that they were going, Jesus asked them, what are you bickering about? And what they had been bickering about was who was the greatest? Which one of us twelve is the greatest, most awesomest of all of the apostles? In fact, in Luke's account, of the events that we're reading about here in John chapter 13, Luke's account's found in chapter 22. In Luke's account of this Passover evening, this Thursday night place going on here in the upper room, Luke actually tells us in Luke 22 verse 24 that they were still arguing. On this night, the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed, they are still arguing about who is going to be the greatest amongst them. These men, desperately needed to learn that greatness in the kingdom, it is not some superficial honor, it's not some little badge, some little medal that you get, some kind of thing that's just arbitrarily bestowed. No, greatness in the kingdom is achieved one way and one way only. And Jesus says, it's through service. And so it was in that setting, with those twelve guys, and where they were in their development and in their character, these twelve guys who really needed to be humbled, it is in that setting that Jesus then girds Himself with a towel, and He kneels down and He begins to wash dirty feet. On a practical level, it was needed. Their feet would have been dirty. But on a spiritual level, on a higher level, it also was needed. Because it set forth to these fellows the model and the ultimate example of what it is to have humility and to serve others. Think about it. Here is the Master. Not just the Master in the sense that He was their teacher. We're talking about the Master of all Masters. And He should be having His feet washed by them and yet instead... He is modeling and having to show them what it means to serve others. And I am certain, I am 100% positive, that the literal washing of the feet was not the point. And I know that because of what Jesus says in verse 12. Are you back in John chapter 13? In John 13 and verse 12, after He has finished this symbolic act, the Lord then asked them a question. He asked them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Well, of course, Lord. You washed our feet. Yeah, that's exactly what you did to us. That's not what Jesus is asking. What Jesus is asking is, do you understand the meaning of what I have done? Do you understand the significance, the spiritual lesson in what I have done? Jesus wanted these men to develop the heart, the attitude of a servant. In fact, even if these guys had followed Jesus' example and they washed each other's feet, even if they had washed each each other's feet a million times over, but they did that begrudgingly, they still did that with that same spirit of of egotism and superiority that they had exhibited before, then I would I would be I'll be ready to say that it was meaningless. It would have been absolutely worthless for them to serve each other in that fashion. Why? Because they had not truly learned what it meant 
to be a servant. Jesus was pushing them to see the value, and in fact to see the greatness that comes in serving others. That service, I believe, it can come in many different forms. It can come in the form of praying for someone. We think about different things of service. It can come in the form of sending someone a card when they're down or when they're sick. It can come in the form of making food and delivering it to someone who maybe has lost a loved one. Maybe it's giving someone a ride to their doctor's appointment. Maybe it's helping someone financially with their needs. Maybe it's going and just visiting someone, just giving them of your time. Maybe it's doing chores for somebody, doing their laundry, mowing their yard. Actually, my service has limits. I'm going to do whatever I'm supposed to do, though. On and on and on the list goes. The point is, Jesus is instituting an attitude. He's not instituting a literal act. So maybe what we want to help folks to see, and help folks to look closely at, especially that in verse 12, that there is a difference between what the Lord is doing literally and the significance of what the Lord is doing here spiritually. Now, there is one other little interesting tidbit. It's not a biblical tidbit. It's really something that is outside of the Bible that stands out to me. And that is just the testimony of history. Because it is of interest to me that nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the history of the early church, even beyond the early stages of the New Testament, beyond that first century, nowhere do we have record that any Christian perceived that this event in John 13 was meant to serve as a binding example of literal foot washing to be observed in perpetuity throughout all of Christian history. In fact, one prominent scholar, one writer, he observed the following. He said, there is no indication in the New Testament or in any Christian literature of the first three centuries that our Lord was understood to have instituted a foot-washing ordinance. He went on to say that the earliest reference to the ceremonial use of foot-washing is in the canon of the Synod of Elvira, that was in 306 A.D., where it is actually condemned. If Jesus expected His church to be involved in literal foot-washing rituals, then why can we not find a single example of that anywhere in the New Testament or even in any of the literature outside of the New Testament during those early centuries in the beginning of Christianity? In fact, the only passage that I can find that is even remotely close to that would be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Would you go over and find that passage? This passage gets used from time to time in support of the foot-washing thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 5... Paul is making reference here and he is describing what we often refer to as the widow indeed. This woman has to meet certain qualifications in order to be placed on the church roll. She has to be of a certain character. She has to have demonstrated certain things in her life. Notice in the middle of those qualifications, 1 Timothy chapter 5, this is verse 10. She must have a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality, if she has washed the feet of the saints, if she has cared for the afflicted, if she has devoted herself to every good work. I want to suggest to you, first of all, that what's being described there is not a church activity. There's nothing in here about this is something that goes on in the worship of the church. This is something that this woman does individually. But can I also suggest to you that what she is doing there is not some kind of ritual, ceremonial foot washing that people are commonly involved in today. 
If you look at the text, look at verse 10 again. Look at the things that come before the foot washing. Look at the things that are mentioned after the foot washing. What kind of things are being described there? The kind of things being described there are needed acts of service. This is a woman who is serving in whatever capacity there is a need. And I will tell you that if you live in a place, if you live in a part of the world, even in a part of this country, where everybody's walking around in sandals, and there's dirt roads everywhere, and they're having to do walking the majority of the time, then maybe foot washing would be a very appropriate thing to do for those individuals. But by and large, as we think about where we live, we think about the culture in which we live, foot washing, it just isn't a needed act of service. What we need to see and what we need to take away is the timeless principle that undergirds it all. Jesus is not only teaching something that's timeless, He is exemplifying by His very actions. In John 13, this isn't a foot washing service. No, this is a call to be a servant. Which means that what John 13 is teaching, it's a challenge. It is a huge challenge. Can I just be candid with you? In my opinion, personally, I wish John 13 was instituting a foot washing service that we just did every so often and did periodically. You want to know why? That would be easy. It wouldn't be hard to do at all. Come together, whether it's once a week or once a month, or a lot of these churches just do it once a year. Have ourselves a foot washing service once a year and don't ever have to think about being a servant. But what Jesus is really teaching here, the idea of being a servant... All the time, in every way, in every opportunity, that is much harder. It is a much greater challenge. Because it calls upon us and it requires of us to humble ourselves. To look for opportunities. Look around us. Look at the people who are around us. Look toward our brethren. Look even toward our community. Look toward our families. Where are opportunities that I can serve others? Where are opportunities that I can serve even in ways that I might consider as being beneath me? The promise of Jesus is that if we will rise to that challenge, is that we will be blessed by doing it. So the question is, who are you serving? I am not going to conclude this sermon tonight with us all leaving here patting our backs. Yep, we're not doing foot washing services, so we're good. All right, we'll see you next week. Nope. The concluding thought this evening is, who are you serving? How are you serving? What can I do this week to demonstrate the attitude and the spirit that Jesus modeled so long ago by serving someone other than myself? We sing that song, Servant Song. And what my hope is, is my hope that we will be able to take these words of this song and we will make it our prayer. Make me a servant, just like your son. For he was a servant. Please make me one. Make me a servant, do what you must do to make me a servant. Make me like you. Make me a servant, take all my pride. For I would be lowly. And humble inside. Giving to others with all that I do. In love for my brother. Make me like you. Make me a servant filled by your might. 
And may all my labor shine with your light. Show me your footsteps and what I should do for now and forever. Make me like you. I hope you'll be able to live out the words of that song. It is very appropriate for us to think about Jesus being the model servant for us. Because not only was He willing to humble Himself in a fashion to be able to get on His knees and wash dirty feet, but He was willing and able to humble Himself and serve in the greatest single act of service that humankind has ever known. And that is by laying down His life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Have you taken advantage of that wonderful fact? Have you acted in your own life upon the fact that Jesus died for you, that He has authored your salvation, and He has made it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins and to become one of God's children? If you're not a Christian this evening, but you understand what you need to do, you understand that I need to repent. talked about that at length this morning. You understand that you need to confess Jesus as God's Son, make that publicly known, acknowledge that, that He is Lord and that He is King. And if you need to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, and you're just not you've done anything about that, you're sitting on go, then can we plead you this evening to get off a go? And let's do something about it tonight. The water's ready, garments are ready, myself, others are ready to assist you and help you to become a Christian. You really can't even begin to be a servant for the Lord until you first become one of God's children. And when you do, you can then begin and you can understand the joys and the blessing of being a servant. Brother or sister, it may be that you have not been the kind of servant that you ought to be. You've not served the Lord faithfully. Maybe you've not served your brethren faithfully. Fix that. Repent of that. If we can pray and pray with you and encourage you in some way, we're ready to assist in that way as well. Whatever your need may be to help you to serve the Lord, Take advantage of this moment right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.